Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I want to just begin with a welcome from the church, from Capital City Church. As Nick said, I'm Matt. Some of you, many of you, I think we've had the, the privilege of meeting over the years. Um, but it's been a bit since I've uh, been asked to be here and since we've been invited. And um, I just want to begin with a greeting from Capital City Church in Sacramento. Uh, though we are distant from each other, and though some of you might be going, who the heck is Capital City Church? Um, there is a nearness in the spirit that we have by just the bond that is the church itself, the church universal. And so uh, when Shannon says, we pray for you, we pray for you. Uh, We think of you guys, and though we don't know all of you, uh, our hearts are fond of Mercy Commons and just what God is doing, and um, we're really privileged to be here. And so I would have loved to have uh, brought everybody with me. That might have been fun. Uh, Airfare was super expensive this time around, so maybe the next time. So they uh, they send their love, which is Shannon and I. And uh, we'll see how much love that is by the time I'm done. But uh, they send their just affections to you all. And actually, can I take a picture? Okay, I'm going to take a picture. Because I love the idea of going back to them and uh, sharing a photo with them. Just uh, as like, hey, this is, this is who we were with. So you can do whatever you want. Don't worry, you're all in it. I've got the fish lens, whatever they call that thing. Yeah, this is, oh, this is great. There it is. Yeah, wave. That's good. I like it. Cool. Um, just, a quick, just a quick update. The church in, in Sacramento, Capital City, is doing really well. God has been faithful. I've already shared the story this morning. Um, man, the faithfulness of God. Why do we ever doubt the faithfulness of God? Or why, do, why does it surprise us when he presents himself to be faithful? But man, God has been so faithful and kind to us these last 12, 15 months. Um, the church is doing remarkably well. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of unity of mind. And we're, like you guys, pushing forward in this next season um, with a lot of faith for what God wants to do. And so I feel like this morning, God has just given me something. Uh, this sounds like the suffering life of a pastor, but I was floating in my pool one afternoon. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was, but this is the honest truth. I was floating in my pool. I was drinking a Coors Light. And I was, praying for, I was praying for this church. I know, the, the, I lost you at the Coors Light. I should have left it at the pool. I'm trying to watch my figure, so I'm drinking Coors Light. I was, uh, I was floating in the pool, and literally, I felt like the Lord just spoke something to me today for you all. And so I'm bringing you guys just a word of faith, um, my faith for what God has for you. And I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will, will do his work in each one of us, myself included, to strengthen you guys, to encourage you guys, to remind you of the commission that he has called you to individually, but also collectively for the city of Fullerton. And so I have a lot of faith for it this morning, and um, I just want to again thank you for receiving us and allowing us to be here. One of the, the questions that I, as a, an elder of Capital City Church, have been putting forth over these last 15 months or so, um, whether it kind of implicitly or explicitly has been the question of what. And I'm sure uh, many of you have asked that question as well. But I think in, in times of trial, it's, we're more inclined to ask why, right? We ask why a lot. But I believe that what God is really wanting us to ask is what. And there's quite a difference between those two. There's a significant difference, actually. And the difference is 
is the orientation. When we ask the question why, it's usually a self-centered question. It's why must I? Or why am I? Or why are we? But when we ask the question of what, it's what are you doing? Or what are you speaking? Or what are you wanting to work within me? And so I've been trying to just keep that in front of both my own heart, but also in front of our church as well, as we've tried to lead with faithfulness um, throughout the COVID time. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk a lot about COVID. Everybody's tired of COVID. But I just want to begin with a bit of a, a frame of reference for our own story up in the city of Sacramento. And so I've been asking the question of why, and this is a bit of how I want to lead into our text and what I feel like the Lord has spoken to us today. As we ask the question of what, these aren't just questions that God has been responding to us with, but he does something deep, and I felt like he's really heart-checked me as a leader, and he's kind of gut-checked me as well Um, but also our church. And so I felt like he responded to my question of what with a question, and I tried to say to him, God, you're not allowed to answer question with a question. But then again, I realized I didn't want to do the Job thing. And he's like, where were you? And under his thumb, I find myself. But I did feel like he responded with a question in two things. And he asked me two things. The first is, where is your identity? And the second was, where is your hope? Those were two things. As we've held out the question of what? What are you doing? What are you working? What are you saying? I felt like these two responses were, where is your identity and where is your hope? As to where your identity, I felt like God is just asking us, and listen, this isn't just for me. Again, I believe this is a word for his church. When he asks us, where is our identity? He's asking, what is shaping you? What is forming and informing who you are, the basis of who you are? And therefore, What do you believe? Because what we believe about who we are affects what we believe about God. And if what we believe is being affected by who we are, then how we act is affected by what we believe. So there's ramifications to answering this question of where does your identity lie? Does it lie within political affiliations? I felt like God was just checking our heart. Does it lie within matters of of justice or social reform? Where does our identity lie? Does it lie within family? Many felt the strain of family. And I'm sorry, I'm going to fiddle with this because it's bugging me. Was our identity in family? Was our identity in vocation? And it just seemed like God was removing a lot of these identifiers, these natural earthly identifiers from our life. And of course, as to our hope, I just felt like God was saying, what are you speaking? In the words of of Peter in his first letter, to be ready to always give an account for the hope or a defense for the hope that is within you. And God is just saying, what are you speaking? Who are you pointing people towards? What is the message that you are bringing? And see, these two questions of identity and hope were, were absolutely at the forefront of our natural minds over this last year. And they were, they were elevated as well, whether it's within the news or whether it's in conversation. We're just finding these two questions kind of bubbling to the surface constantly. We've had to ask ourselves, and as our church, is our hope in natural means? Is it in infection rates? Is it in vaccines? 
Is it in civil mandates or the removal or withdrawal of certain civil mandates? Where have we placed our hope, brothers and sisters? And this isn't just for you, this is for me. Again, this is what I felt like God was speaking to me. Because each of these things, as I said, have been elevated to a matter of great importance from an earthly and a temporal perspective. But this is what I believe, that this has been the crucible that God has been removing. COVID was the crucible for God's church this last 12 months. That through it, he's been removing all of these other earthly options that have been erected in front of us. These things that become either hindrances, they slow us, they distract us, they reorient us away from Christ, even if it's subtly, right? I mean, some of you might be saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's not something I struggle with. But just in subtle degrees, I feel like the enemy's scheme these last 12 months has been to reorient his church and us as individuals away from Christ and onto earthly and natural means. And how simple it's been to find ourselves in such a way, right? Perhaps you would agree with that. But I just feel like that, that, that God has been removing these things from us and he's been requiring us, he's been presenting us with the opportunity to face these questions, not from an earthly perspective, but he's calling us to a kingdom perspective. And of course we know that it was the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of so thoroughly in his years of earthly ministry. He taught of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. And what God's calling us to today as believers is to find again our sure footing, should it have been lost, on the kingdom principles and the kingdom perspective. It's to elevate our perspective, to elevate our view. So I want to just speak to you today on something that I believe that addresses both of these questions of our identity and our hope. That was a bit of a runway to this morning's text. I believe that this is a word that is now for the church, a church that I believe stands at a bit of a crossroads, a decision point, and Shannon was just talking about seasons, and I thought how timely that really is. Here we are presented with a natural change in season, but I believe that there is a bit of a prophetic crossroad that we find ourselves at at this moment within this time of post-COVID. So this isn't a COVID message, this is a post-COVID word that I believe is a prophetic word from God. That it's time for us to shake the dust of the last 12 to 15 months and to begin for the church to walk in not only what she's called to, but in who she has been created to be, in who you and I have been created to be. So this isn't a a time for us to lick wounds. And I was thinking, man, no more wound licking. I'm tired of it. I'm ready to kick some butt. I am. I'm ready to kick butt. So let's kick some butt together. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. I want to read from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read out of the ESV. I hope that's all right. Before I read from Acts chapter 1, I want to pray. Father, this is your word. And Lord, we receive the word today with gladness of heart. Lord, and also we receive it with the conviction that it conforms and transforms us. Lord, your word is light, your word is truth, and Father, through your word, your spirit works. And so we don't need to welcome your spirit because your spirit is with us, but what we do is we welcome our, we open our hearts to the welcoming of the spirit to come and to do the work that you have done, that only you can do. 
And so, Father, we thank you for your word this day. Thank you that it's been preserved from generation to generation. I thank you, my Lord, that we hold it in our hands today. May we never take it for granted, and may we always hold it out with such high value. To your glory, Lord, we pray these things. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, this is, uh, this is Luke's writing, and beginning in verse 1, it's, he says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And I love that. I'm not going to teach that today, but just underline that if you've not ever considered that before. In other words, the book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus did. It's the ministry of the kingdom continues today. I began with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen? So you might be thinking, gee, I thought we were going to kick some butt and you open cha- after a, cha- a book of Acts and you read the introduction to a book. <laughs> Uh, this portion of text is, is um, it's easy to read through it quickly, especially because oftentimes we want to get to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter's amazing preach that he does, um, and then shortly thereafter, the, the healing of the, uh, of the lame beggar, etc., etc. But there's actually something really profound that I want us to consider this morning in this portion of text. And of course, as with any portion of text, text we have to ask ourselves, man, why did God put it with an inspiration of these men to write it? Why has God preserved it all these years for us to consider? And I believe that there's a key for us today, at least, that I want to focus in, and it's in verse 3. And he says this, that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and this, speaking about the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive to them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that what Jesus always spoke of? was the kingdom of God? The answer is yes, absolutely. But there's something incredibly significant within this text, and it's the statement that Jesus is now alive. Jesus is now alive, post-resurrection, preaching on the kingdom of God. And so we have to ask, what's the significance of a post-resurrection teaching of the kingdom of God? And I would say to us today, and to the disciples in that moment, the importance was everything. It was literally everything. We don't know what Jesus said within those 40 days, but what we do know is this, that his message was of the kingdom. But listen, church, now through the lens of the risen, triumphant, and victorious Messiah. Do you hear the significance in that? Prior to that, they were followers of Jesus. They were learners of the kingdom. But now in these 40 days... Jesus is commissioning them to be livers of the spirit-empowered kingdom of God. 
by the resurrected Christ. It's the kingdom of God in a whole new power. It's the kingdom of God in a whole new light. And one could imagine the faith that must have been stirred within their hearts seeing Jesus alive, his resurrected body, and in the many proofs that Luke records here without specificity, man, could you imagine between themselves saying, he is alive, it is true. Everything that he said and taught was true and how the faith must have been stirred. I think that those 40, those 40 days were preparatory for what would soon be. It was laying the groundwork, and we know that it's within the context and shortly thereafter, of course, in what I just read, where he says that the Spirit of God is going to come. I mean, we're talking now just a very short time between these words, his ascension, and Pentecost itself. These 40 days, church, were preparatory, teaching the kingdom through the lens of Jesus Christ resurrected in all power, in all authority, having overcome the schemes of the enemy by the power of the cross. Amen? Much like the three years was preparatory for leading them to his crucifixion and to that moment where he would reveal himself to them, so now this time would be preparatory for those who would see the birth of the church age. The age when Christ would ascend, his spirit of power would descend upon them and they would become his witnesses. But beyond the 40 days being solely self-attesting to his resurrection, this kingdom message of a resurrected Christ brought with it a profound commissioning. It was in his resurrected power now that the church would go forward in, that the church would live in, and that the church would proclaim the gospel by. Can I say that again? It was in his resurrected power that you live today, that you live today. We are the continuation of the church age. Nothing has changed from that day to this moment with the exception of his ascension and the Holy Spirit. And if anything, we live in a greater position because Christ has now ascended to his throne. Above all powers, above all authorities, given by the Father the authority to rule and to reign. Are you guys following me? Is this okay? All right, I, I haven't even gotten to what I felt like God had fully spoken yet. As not, I know, it's amazing. No, it's really, I just felt like this today, churches, we need to lift our eyes. I felt like God was calling us to pull our gaze upward. Where are we fixing our faith? Where are we placing our hope in Christ alone? May it be to him and to him alone. So it was this resurrected power that the church would go, now go forward in, that the church would proclaim the gospel by. The spirit of God that descends upon them in Acts 2. The spirit of God that compels Peter to stand up and to preach. The spirit of God that moves on Peter and John as they walk through the gate beautiful to call the blind lame beggar to stand and to walk. The same spirit of God that empowers them in Acts chapter 3 having been persecuted to go back where they pray in boldness and God shakes the literal building in which they stand. This is the same spirit of God, brothers and sisters, that we live in today. Do you feel empowered by God's spirit? We don't because we leak, right? We're filled with the spirit of God. But Paul will instruct us as believers to be refilled. Not, not a, I'm not teaching a second filling. Don't worry, Nick, I'm not teaching that. I'm just saying that we leak. 
Because the, the things of the flesh wage war against the things of the spirit. And we're still putting to death the natural man. And so what are our habits of holiness that we give ourselves to that fill us with the spirit of God that enable us to live day in, day out, moment in, moment out, under the glory of his name? What is the grace of God that we're leaning into for our present day circumstances, regardless of if it's a pandemic or we're just quarreling with our spouse, it doesn't matter of the magnitude, the grace of God is present for our life by the empowering of his spirit. This is the promise for you and I. For those of us who are of faith that are present in this room today, this is what we were granted when we were invited and brought into his kingdom. All right, let me move on. This is the beginning of here in Acts 1 of where we find ourselves today. And so the message that I want to bring to you is simply this. May we be who we are. Just think about that statement for a moment. We have to be who we actually are. And you're saying, well, I'm sure that's all I can ever be. I can't be anything that I'm not. But this is what I'm saying. Who has Christ made you to be? What does this say about who we are? Who has Jesus allowed us and invited us into being by his power through the cross and his resurrected life? The church must be who she is called to be. Empowered by the spirit of the resurrected Christ to understand as Zechariah would say some 500 years prior to this moment in Acts 1 that the work of the Lord is accomplished not by might but what by the power of his spirit, right? 500 years earlier, there's already a foreshadowing of the reality that you and I live within this day. Absolutely amazing. Church, the world needs Mercy Commons. Fullerton desperately needs Mercy Commons to be this type of people, a people who know who they are in Christ and who live zealously according to this reality, right? This is how we become butt kickers, earth shakers. So there's two identifiers that I felt like the Lord gave to me to encourage you in that we are to put on as his church, that you are to put on as his church in Fullerton, particularly in light of this post-COVID season. And they correlate with the two questions, as I said a moment ago, that I asked around pertaining to identity and to hope. And they're distinctives of this kingdom church with Jesus, which Jesus speaks of here, or implies within Acts chapter one. They are this, number one, that you are exiles. That is a good word. If it sounds discouraging, don't be discouraged. Brothers and sisters, number one, we have to understand, we have to see we have to live in the reality that we are exiles. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. And I want to speak more on the implications of that for our life. And number two, very simply, that we are witnesses. We are exiles and we are witnesses. If we are not of this world, then which world are we of? And therefore, what message do we speak of this other world, right? Exiles and that we're strangers admits a world that's foreign to you. Not that we don't recognize the world, but its foreignness is that we are not citizens of it. Listen, we are not identified by it. To what degree 
do we find our identification? Where does your identity lie? Are you citizens of this earth? Or are you citizens of the kingdom of God? If you're in Christ, it is of the kingdom. And if it is of the kingdom, there are kingdom distinctives. It affects the way we live, which is why Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are so incredibly important because Jesus is laying out a whole new way of life in that moment. This is how you are to live. This is what you are to think. These are the values you are to have. This is how you literally are to distinctively now live amongst this world, not being of it because I have made you new, I've reborn you into a new, as a new creation into something that's entirely different. And not only that, but I'm gonna give you my spirit. And my spirit is going to enable you to live each and every day in this countercultural, seemingly narrow-minded according to the world today. I am going to give you the ability to live in this radical new way. Thank God. I feel like I can really preach behind this podium. Man, this is amazing, this thing. I, find, I do find myself doing this, which is like, I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm so, so tired. I don't know. It's, just, it's fantastic. I think I said this the last time I was here, too. This is fantastic. All right, moving on. We are exiles. We are witnesses. We're exiles in that I said we're strangers amidst a foreign land, and we're witnesses in that we not only testify of the gospel of Christ. Listen. Listen to me for a moment, please. We are witnesses that we do not only testify in that we don't only open our mouths and proclaim, but we are living proof of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus. I think sometimes the church just thinks of witnessing as telling others about Jesus, while witnessing does necessitate that we open our mouths and that we speak. There is also a reality to it that it is the way in which we live that attests to the veracity of what we are saying, yeah, right? We are living proof. You are living proof. Are you living as proof? May we by his grace. And very quickly, just before I expound on these two, I just want to point out the really important statement that, be, that Luke begins with in verse three where he says that Jesus presented himself alive to them. Church, we have to begin with this simple and yet powerful truth that as new creation beings, we are those who have been risen in Christ Jesus. We have seen Christ. Maybe not with our literal physical eyes, as some of them did, as some of them were beneficiaries of, but as Paul would say, the eyes of our hearts have been opened, right? To see, to understand, to know the hope, to experience the power by which we have been made new in Christ Jesus. We have seen him alive. Do not doubt it for a moment. We are those who have seen Jesus. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you know this to be true. Once our, hearts and our eyes of our hearts have been opened to Christ, there is no denying that it is in fact true. And because we've seen him, we are changed. And so as to being exiles, we can't miss the implicit significance of what also took place during those 40 days with Jesus. This post-resurrection kingdom message was the beginning of what would be an empowering of the earthly church to no longer just follow the message, but to live distinctly as the message of the kingdom. 
to live distinctly as the message of the kingdom. His resurrection and his soon-to-be spirit empowerment were signs and seals of this new creation. The Holy Spirit is a seal upon your heart that God has made you new through Jesus Christ by faith. We have to remember, too, that foreignness, this alien nature, was one of the hallmarks of God's ancient people Israel as they were scattered into various cultures in society. This is the story of the Old Testament of God's people, of how he called them, not because they were great, right? God says to Moses, not because you were great or many in number, but literally because you were the weakest, that in your weakness, who I am, my strength, my power, my faithfulness could be shown the brightest through you as my people. So this foreignness was a hallmark of God's old people and it remains a primary distinction of God's new covenant, New Testament people today, which you are, which I am. But I fear that through compromise that the church today risks losing sight of this significant truth and therefore not only risks becoming without distinction in this world, but I also fear that the church is unprepared. It's unprepared for the onslaught of pagan ideology and pagan practice, whether it's literal or whether it is just philosophy within this world. I worry, is the church really prepared? Are we really prepared to live distinct? Are you guys happy that I'm here? Okay. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not someone, I stand here humbly before you and these words are for me as well. God is calling me to the same inward, man, take inventory, take stock, because this season that we are presented with, we're at a crossroads. Which way will we go? Will the church rise to the position that God has called her to be in and has created her and empowered to be in, or will we continue to just exist flying under the radar at times, afraid to speak because we look as though we speak a message that is antiquated, that's misogynistic, that's whatever fill-in-the-blank accusation that could be thrown at us? Or do we stand with conviction that every word within this is true, that we can hang by it, that we can rest our head on it at night, and that we can live boldly within it. And so I'm, I'm concerned that the church is compromised. Already the 21st century church is filled with compromise and idol worship. We worship self. We worship earthly gains. We worship success. We worship intellectual ascension. We worship relevancy and cultural acceptance. We worship personal preference. We worship personal opinion. We've made concession to modern day pagan thought as though it was somehow God's intent that that would be a part of his church. Pagan reasoning, pagan culture, pagan values, pagan language, and a false view of cultural flourishing. All of those things in many forms and in many ways and in many degrees have crept into the church at large within 
North America, within the Western world. Paul in Colossians chapter one makes an absolutely radical statement. He says that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And similarly, Peter would say in his first letter in chapter one that we were ransomed is the language that Peter uses. Remember, I'm speaking about exiles. We were ransomed, Peter says, from the futile ways, the things that I just rattled off that maybe you agree or disagree with. Peter says that you were ransomed from the futile ways of your forefathers. Ransomed, he says, and transferred. He says you were ransomed not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Man, these are strong, radical, significant action words, delivered, rescued, ransomed, which speak of the profound depths from which we have been brought. Man, in the absolute intense grip that darkness had on our hearts, right? This isn't just like, oh yeah, you found your way to Christ. No, 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 this was a rescue mission of Jesus for each and every one of us where he rips us from the grip of darkness and he places us in the kingdom of his son, which is the kingdom of light. And as I said, those two kingdoms, we don't straddle the kingdoms, church. We stand with our feet firmly placed in the kingdom of God today. I want to share with you a quote, and I believe we have it here so you can follow along. This was a quote from John Calvin. He says this, We must first note that we are born and that we live aliens and strangers from the kingdom of God until such time as God does fashion us again unto a new life. Therefore, we may properly set the world, the flesh, and whatsoever is in man's nature against the kingdom of God as contrary to it. Can I just say that again? We may properly set the world, the flesh, and whatsoever is in man's nature against the kingdom of God as contrary to it. For the natural man is wholly occupied about the things of this world, and he seeks felicity here. It's like John in 1 John, where he says, if anyone loves the world, that the love of the Father is not in him, right? Those are the words of John to, his, to God's people. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because what? Because it's in the world that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and, and the pride of life is found, which is not from the Father. This is, what, this is what Calvin is saying here. But Christ, he says, two incredible words. And what does Paul say in the book of Ephesians? But God, being rich in mercy. Church, hold on to those two words, if nothing else, for your life. But God. And so Calvin goes on and he says, but Christ, by the preaching of the gospel, he reforms all of our earthly affections. And so having stripped us out of the vices of our flesh, he separates us from the world. This is what has been done for us through Christ Jesus. And the point of why I'm saying all of this is that then the result of this transference, the result of this radical rescue mission, the deliverance, the ransom, the being brought from darkness into light, the result of that is that we as Christians, we live as travelers and strangers who pass through a land like Israel, interestingly, for 40 years, while God was doing his work in his people. 
And what did Israel do? They were called not to take up the habits of the foreign culture. Not to bring the culture into God's distinctive people. But to live as nomads through the desert in in wide view of all the other kings and kingdoms to attest to the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the singular nature and authority of God. This is how we live today. Distinct, set apart. And that's a whole nother preach, right? That we have been consecrated like the vessels in the temple. We were washed, we were purified, and we were set apart distinctly for a purpose of God. Not to be defiled by worldly systems, but to be wholly set apart unto him. I was thinking of this, man, where are the Daniels of our day? Would God raise up a Daniel? Think of the, the, when, when Daniel was taken captive into Babylon, remember the three things that, that they were, tried to be, bring, excuse me, three things that they were being kind of inducted, not inducted, what's the word I'm looking for? Indoctrinated. Listen, anybody from my church will tell you I do this all the time. I say words wrong, I use words wrong, and I'm the first one to admit it. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And when they, were, when they were inducted, they were indoctrinated in three ways. Language, well, it was, it was culture, it was the food that they ate, and it was their language. What they spoke, what they ingested, and what they valued. Those were the three things that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change of those that were brought in. And what did Daniel say? He said, no. I won't assimilate into your culture. I won't ingest that which you want me to take in. And I won't speak the way that you want me to speak. Where are our Daniels? That's for you too, women. Where's the, where's the Daniels of this day? He, they're not in the Bible. I, I mean, she's not in the Bible at least. Not, not the way I'm insinuating. But it's implicit. Brothers and sisters, let's leave, live distinctively, right? The world today doesn't need any more cultural Christians or Christians who want to find relevancy within culture, but those who say, as Paul in Romans, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That's our message. That's our hope. We don't have to say it with eloquence. We don't even have to live every single day perfectly and morally upright. We aim for it, and by the grace of God, we believe that he will enable us to live that day. But listen, we make mistakes and we fail, but that's okay. Because God forgives and there's grace and God says, continue, 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 continue. It's all right. It, what you did this morning, the, the argument that maybe you had with your spouse or how you, whatever, talked harshly to your children or how Nick made fun of me when I sat down over there this morning, <laughs> there's forgiveness for it. It's all right. It's okay because the grace of God is greater. And I forgive. See, the world needs to see people who by grace and power are sustained to live in and not of, whose testimony is attested to by life choices, and I'll try to land it really fast for you, okay? What's that? Okay. All right, let me just say this. Okay, we're exiles and we're witnesses. 
which is the second point, and just to make this lastly, that identity, identity, church, it fuels action. Who we are affects how we live. We are so that we might be. We have to make that connection. We have to make the connection from right here. It's said that this 16-inch journey from the head to the heart is one of the longest journeys a Christian will go on. This connection between what we understand and what we believe because what we believe fuels how we live. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. But of course, right thinking leads to right living. And so he says that you will receive power in Acts 1-8 when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. The church has been empowered. We have received, you have received, I have received the power of the Holy Spirit for the explicit purpose to testify of the gospel of Christ both visibly and verbally. It's both. It's a total package that we've been given. What good is it if you say that you're a Christ follower, but you don't honor your employer? You don't cherish your spouse. You frustrate and berate your children. You gossip about others. You neglect the body of Christ. What good is it if you say that you're a follower of Christ? but you don't endeavor to live as a follower of Christ, right? And conversely, what good is it if we, if we then just want to live without ever speaking? If we honor our fellow believers, if we serve our neighbors in our city, but we never actually open our mouth and proclaim the light of the gospel into darkness and into sin when the Lord presents us with those opportunities. Mercy Commons, Fullerton needs a people like this. It needs you guys to live as exiles and it needs you to live as witnesses. Listen, this isn't a list of things to do. This is me reminding you of who you are and saying, find the grace of God. Find the grace of God. Find the grace of God that's present amongst believers within the gathering of the church. Listen, I know right now we all want to get back to normal, but what if God is saying, it's not the old normal that I want you to pursue. I have something new for you. So it's not about catching up on vacations and jet-setting here and there and, and building up our social spheres really robustly again. As Shannon said, I believe this is a season that God is calling this church to dig in deep to lock arms, to hunker down, to get in the trenches. And I know you feel like you've been in the trenches all last year. This is a different kind of trench because you're following a general who is risen and already victorious. Amen? Man, find the grace of God for you guys in this church. We love you. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.